Large companies spend billions on paid digital ads, but can they also work for smaller businesses? Henry Ford once said, the man who stops advertising to save money is like the man who stops a clock to save time. We are going to spend time to find out how small and medium-sized businesses can get real ROI with paid digital ads on this Screenbox podcast. Please like our podcast and subscribe to our channel to get notified when the next podcast is released. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Streaming box technology and business rundown. Can you really grow a business with digital ads? How can you find success with any sized ad budget? Welcome to the Screaming Box Technology and Business Rundown podcast. In this podcast, my co-host Botan Sedesh and I, Dave Erickson, are going to pay to play with Brandon Leibowitz, CEO of SEO Optimizers. In 2008, Brandon started SEO Optimizers after working extensively at ad agencies, helping their clients with search engine optimization and paid advertising. Since then, he has focused on helping small and medium-sized companies get ranked at the top of Google by using search engine optimization tactics and bringing traffic in via social media and paid ads. Today, we are looking for ROI and learning about paid digital ads, tips, tricks, and hacks. In addition, how can SEO lower ad costs and improve visitor retention and gain higher quality scores? Brandon, we're all quite interested in how Google Ads fit into the overall ads landscape. I mean, personally, I have the feeling that they are uh, kind of dominating at this point. So anytime anyone asks me about SEO or just paid ads, they nine times out of 10, or maybe 10 times out of 10, they mean Google. So I was wondering if you could expand on some alternatives as well. An alternative to Google would be, you could do Bing. Bing has their own ad platform and that's gonna be a little bit cheaper because the way Google works is, or ads work is, if we're bidding on the same keyword, let's say we're all gonna be bidding on the keyword coffee shop. You might say, I'll spend a dollar per click they might say, I'll spend a dollar and five cents per click. I'll spend a dollar and 10 cents per click. And over 20 plus years, it's gotten very, very expensive on Google. Bing, on the other hand, not as many people are running ads, not bidding up. So it's a little bit more cost effective, a little cheaper. You're not going to get the same reach that you get with Google, but you're still getting people at search, which is the biggest thing. They're searching. They have that buyer intent. You could do social media ads. You could do like Facebook. Instagram or Meta, you could do Twitter, you could do LinkedIn, you could do Pinterest, you could do all the social sites for the most part have paid ads enabled. But with social, you just have to understand that it's cheaper for a reason. Well, most of them, LinkedIn is very expensive, but most of the other platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter are really cheap because you're getting lower quality traffic. People aren't searching, so there's no buyer intent behind those searches or behind those ads that are being seen as shown on social media. With social, you're just saying, all right, this is the age group, the audience, demographics, but there's no searching. So it's a little different with that intent behind social versus Google. And Google owns a lot. So if you run Google ads, Google owns Gmail, Google owns YouTube. So, well, especially YouTube is a big, big platform. Gmail, maybe not the best for running paid ads, but YouTube, definitely. And that's all under Google's umbrella. They have pretty much partnered with almost every website on the internet. So if you see banner ads on the internet, 
Usually it's through Google ads, not all the time, but majority of the time, sometimes it's programmatic and other third party sites that you could buy them from. But for the most part, if you run it through Google, you pretty much cover almost the entire internet, except for social media, where Google and social media are kind of competitors. So they don't really work together because they're all trying to take hold of something like Facebook, Instagram is really big on video and Google owns YouTube, which is really big on video. So they don't like each other. They're kind of butting heads and they don't want to share that data. So everything's kind of exclusive with social and search engines. They don't really work together, but in terms of advertising, it all works together for your getting your brand and your business out there. You want to align it properly on all those platforms, but really you want to figure out who your audience is and how do I get in front of them? That's the most important thing with the paid ads or marketing in general. It seems that with social media, it's more of, uh, you know, ads are, uh, it's a lottery in a sense. You, you pay for an ad to go up on social media and it's a lottery of somebody who happens to be interested in that, that service or product sees it as they're scrolling on social media. Whereas with Google and Bing, you know, people are actually specifically reaching out to find information. So I guess that that's what determines the value of those ads in that sense. Is, is that correct? Yeah, from a business point of view, not from a dollar point of view, well, and a dollar point of view, because the search ads are going to be a little bit more expensive than social media ads, but you're getting quality, so you pay what you get for it. And if you want quality traffic, then I would go for Google first. If you're just looking to get your name out there and get some awareness, then social is great for that. Or if you have a new product or service that no one's searching for, then it's going to be tough to do Google ads because Google relies on searching. And if they're not searching for your product or service, then you have to drive that awareness and get those searches up. And that's where the social comes into play or video comes into play really well to help convey and get your new message out to people. Is Google ads really one of the largest forms of paid advertising on the internet? And if so, what are like second and third? What are kind of the ranking of paid advertising in the whole kind of advertising landscape? Yeah, I think Google kind of runs the show. Then Amazon might be second because Amazon is just such a big player. But you have to have a product. You have to have an Amazon store. You have to know how to run Amazon ads to be able to enable all that, which is a steep learning curve. And not everyone has all that. So it could be tough. But Amazon has such a good platform for running paid ads that if you do have an Amazon store, I would definitely look into running some paid ads because... Amazon makes it so easy. They're already logged into their account. It's pretty much one or two clicks to add, buy it to their, or add to the shopping cart to check out. It's not like you have to sign up, create an account, put your credit card in there. It's all ready to go. So Amazon makes it really easy for e-commerce to just get those sales. Unfortunately, they take a lot of cuts out of it. So that's where you have to look at the bottom line and make sure that you're making more than you're putting in, but they'll definitely get you that volume and exposure if you're trying to get that, get your name out there. Uh, are Amazon ads the ones where I search for products and it says on a top banner, like, would I want to visit the official store? Uh, let's say I'm searching for a specific brand of, uh, let's say, pillow. So I'm, I'm looking for a temple Temple 3D pillow, right? And then at the top, there's a banner, like, would you like to visit the official Temple store? Are, are those ads? Yep, sometimes, yeah. There's so many different ads that you run on Amazon, so... You could do those, you could do related products, you could do a variety of different ads, but yeah, usually that big one at the top would be a paid ad. Unless it's a brand name, then they might just show that organically, but it 
yeah, there's so many different ones out there. If you were a company that was doing services, you probably would not be focused on Amazon and your primary ad platform, or at least initial ad platform, if people were searching on your, your types of services, would might be Google Ads. But if you ha were a product company and selling products, you could look at Amazon, pro but only if you're selling on Amazon, correct? Yeah, you need an Amazon store. They're not gonna take you from Amazon to your website. Plus, it's tougher too, like on your own website, you have to have someone create an account, they have to put their credit card in. There's so many extra steps that Amazon just makes it so easy, quick checkout that it's really convenient. We usually work uh, with kind of an example business. One of our favorite example businesses is a t-shirt company selling t-shirts. So we kind of ask questions kind of around that. It's kind of uh, Botan's favorite uh, kind of example there. But I'm gonna kind of start off with a question. If I were a company selling t-shirts, directly, not through Amazon, but directly. And I wanted to run some paid ads and I don't know anything about paid ads. How would I start? Like, where would I start? Or, you know, are there some strategies depending on the types of product or sales channel that you have is to determine how to run a Google ad or where to start with Google ads? I would say you kind of just want to start with by testing, throwing everything against the wall and seeing what sticks, what resonates, because if I'm selling t-shirts and you're selling t-shirts, we might be selling the same type of shirts, but our audience is going to be slightly different. So it's not a one size fits all for everybody. It's really about seeing what works, where your audience is and how do you get them engaged and how do you get them in front of them? So I would run Google ads, search ads, which unfortunately can be very, very expensive. So I might say, all right, depending on what your budget is, let's skip the search ads because it's going to be way too much money per click. It could be like $5 per click. And if you're selling a t-shirt for $20, it's going to be really, really tough to make your return on ad spend with that. So that's where I got to figure out, all right, what is, what's your profit margins? How much are you making from these shirts? And how do we run ads that are not going to bleed that budget? Because if you're selling low ticket items like a t-shirt, unless it's like a $100 shirt, then it's a little bit easier where you get more wiggle room. But if you're selling something for $20, you got to make sure you maximize every single click. And that's where you have to look at lower cost per click type of ads, where if you're running banner ads, those are much cheaper because people have to create the banners. Not as many, everyone can create a search ad. It's pretty easy. You don't have to have anything other than a website, but to create banner ads, you have to create banners, which is a barrier to entry for some people. Unfortunately, banner ads don't really work that well because nobody clicks on them. If you see those banner ads all over the internet, it's good for awareness and keep you top of mind, but not many people click on them unless they accidentally click on it. So those aren't going to be the best in terms of getting sales. But if you want sales, I would run Google shopping ads through the Merchant Center, and that's where you create a merchant feed, upload to Google, and then when you're searching for like t-shirts at the top, you'll usually see like images of products at the top, sometimes, not all the time, but when you're searching for products, usually Google will put the product images, the Google shopping ads at the top, and those ads are great because it shows you a picture of your product, it has a pricing there, so no one's going to click on it and then be like, oh, this shirt was $500, this is way too much money, and hit the back button, they'll see right there how much that shirt is so they can see exactly what they're going to spend, what it looks like, which is much better than just a search ad, which doesn't convey much, but you can also do video ads with YouTube because Google owns YouTube and that gives you much more time and much cheaper because with YouTube, it's another barrier to entry. How many people are making a video? Not many people are making a video. So YouTube will actually reward you with 30 seconds free ad space. So if someone watches your video ad for 29 seconds, skips it, you don't pay a penny. 
after 30 seconds, then it's like 10, 20 cents a view. So it's much cheaper. And the nice thing is if someone watches your video ad for like 10 seconds and skips it, they still heard you talk for 10 seconds. So you still got your message out there for free. And that's a great way to get some exposure and really kind of just test it all out. You could run discovery ads where Google's going to put you on these discovery channels, which seems to work pretty well as well. But really you want to just test, 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 see what works. Whatever's converting, push more man to that. Pull money away from what's not working, like maybe males 30 to 35 are clicking, but they're not converting. Whatever their conversion actually is calling you or emailing you or buying, let's cut them out. Maybe females 40 to 45 are clicking and converting. Let's push more man to that. So it's all about testing and then optimizing and pulling money away from what's not working. So you're spending less and pushing more money into what works. So initially, the more you could spend, the more you could test, the more data you're going to get to make statistically informed decisions. And then later on, you could be like, all right, let's cut off all these audiences that are just bleeding money. These keywords are bleeding money. Let's stop them. And this is actually working. Let's push more money into that. So that would be a good way to kind of test, gauge it out, and also look at what your competitors are doing. Kind of spy on them. There's tools that will show you what paid ads are running. And you could kind of gauge off that. It doesn't show you if they're working or not, but you can kind of see where your competitors are because the nice thing about digital is I can see what you're doing. You can see what I'm doing if you look in the right places and build strategies based off your competitors and hopefully incorporate what's working into your own website and business and skip what's not working. Uh, one of my acquaintances has uh, asked me a quite intriguing question, but I had no idea if this is a thing or not. So they've been running uh, keyboard ads for a couple of years now, or I suppose it's more like four or five plus years. And they are extremely worried that if they uh, stop spending on those specific ads and in that specific amount, that their search volume is going to suddenly drop to zero. And even if they restart like a month later, they're afraid that uh, those ads will never be shown at the same rankings ever again. Like, uh, do you know if um, anything similar to that? Is, is, is this even a thing? <laughs> Are their fears completely unfounded? Yeah, no, Google has an algorithm for pretty much everything. So they have an algorithm for SEO, for paid ads, and they look at a ton of variables that go into it. So if you do pause it, then it kind of resets it where they have to restart and they do like learning mode. And I mean, at least there's historical data, so that should help out. But if you do stop and start, then it might not be exactly how it was, but you never know. And just like with SEO, their algorithms kept top secret, paid ads. They don't really tell you what how it all works, but I mean, maybe they're just saying that to scare you, saying if you stop spending money, we're not going to keep you at that same limit that you were at before, but yeah, it's tough to really say because Google tries to keep things. Oh, I, I, can't Im I can't imagine Google using scare tactics. Oh no, that would be the end of fair business. Yeah, yeah that would never happen. No. They would never do evil things. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if we, if you were a small business and say you had a small ad budget, like $500 a month, it sounds to me like you need to initially spend that money on doing some A-B testing, coming up with some variations. Now, I'll be really honest. I didn't even think people were running banner ads anymore. I can't, I'm sure I see banner ads, but... I don't actually see banner ads, meaning if I'm on a web page and there's a banner ad, I probably don't even recognize that it's there. So 
I, I don't know how valid banner ads are, but if it's cheap enough, it might be a good way to do some kind of A-B testing. But the, what you're really, it seems like what you're really trying to do is come up with ad content that converts. And so you probably want to use an advertising content. Like you said, uh, a product ad seems to be cheaper than an ad, uh, an AdWord ad to at least define, you know, what product wording sells. And, you know, you would make uh, two ads for the same T-shirt and change the wording, I assume, to see which one gets the best numbers. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. And one thing with banner ads, though, I mean, definitely people don't click on them, but I run banner ads for remarketing. So anyone that goes to a website and doesn't do a specific conversion action, like anyone that goes like shop, like the T-shirt company, as a product of the shopping cart, but doesn't check out, follow them around everywhere they go with banner ads, offering a discount or a coupon code. And those keep yourself top of mind where, like you said, most people are gonna, not gonna see it, but eventually you're gonna see it, you know, if you're not really looking at it, but you'll see it subliminally, it'll just put that message in your, in your mind and keep you top of mind. But multiple touch points really help out, maybe not for t-shirts, but like something more high ticket where they're selling like SEO or selling like cars or anything where it's more expensive, you need multiple touch points because no one's going to just buy from you right away. So the more places they see you, the more trustworthy you seem. And, but yeah, banner ads were kind of immune to them, but I run banner ads and I have a picture of myself. So it's like, you see me there. It's like, Oh, Brennan's on the New York times, on the LA times, on CNN, Fox, KTLA, whatever website you go on, I'll be there. It doesn't matter what website you go on, except for like weird, crazy ones might exclude those, but anywhere you go, if you go to my website and then you don't, fill out one of my forms or do one of my specific conversion actions. I'm going to go everywhere you go to just keep myself top of mind. And it does, it's kind of tough to attribute it to anything because like you said, most people don't click it, but they see it. And then over time, like, Oh, I've seen Brandon so many times, let me call him. So I don't really get many conversions from that ad, but it indirectly leads to those conversions. And that's where you have to also think like, all right, what's the buying cycle for my product? How do I, make sure it all flows. And like you said, do the AB testing, you get AB test landing pages, which might be a little bit better saying, all right, like I'm going to send half the traffic to this version of my website with the t-shirts. And then the other half gets sent to this other version where I move the add to cart button up a couple pixels, or I change the add to cart button from blue to red and let's see, does this increase conversions, decrease it? And this is conversion rate optimization, which in general should just be doing for your website in general for SEO, for paid ads, for social, because once people get to your website, that's half the battle. After they get to your website, how do you get them to convert? And that's the tough part is getting people to trust you to actually want to buy from you because I see people spending money all the time. They're like, oh, I spent like $10,000 on paid ads. I didn't get any conversion. It's like, all right, well, either the ads are completely wrong or there's something wrong with your website that's not letting people convert or they're just getting stuck or the pricing's wrong or there's so many variables, but that's where you have to kind of look at it holistically and just figure out how do I make sure that it all flows and works together. This is something quite interesting about uh, following people around with banner ads and such. But I was wondering if you could expand a bit on that because my understanding of ads is basically you have some loose criteria like uh, age, location, uh, whatever. So how do I know or, or how can I set up an ad to be shown to people who have added some items to my cart. That is completely unknown territory for me. I did not even know that was possible. Yeah, those are the most effective ads. Like 
anyone that I mainly do SEO. I don't like running paid ads, but I run remarketing for everybody, or I recommend it to everybody because, like with SEO, half your traffic is gonna hit that back button, that bounce rate. So you're losing half your traffic just in general. Almost every website will have like about 50%, like 40 to 60% bounce rate where people leave and you just lost that traffic. But especially someone that's gone to your website and added a product to the cart and didn't check out, those are even more warm leads where they were that close to making a purchase and maybe they're on their phone and somebody called them and they got distracted or who knows, a million reasons why they didn't check out. But you keep them top of mind, it's gonna really work. And that's through custom audiences where you go into Google Analytics or you do it through Google Ads, but usually through analytics, you create custom audiences saying, all right, here's an audience of anyone that's gone to my website, but didn't go to the checkout page. Or here's another custom audience where anyone went to the cart, but didn't make it to the checkout thank you page. Let's create the new audience. Or anyone that's been to, let's say, like a blue t-shirt, you can say, all right, anyone that's been to this blue t-shirt page, Let's follow them around with blue t-shirt ads. So it's like with Amazon, you look at a product, you see those specific ads following around, you can do the same thing. And it's all done that through- so smart. Yeah, it's all done through remarketing and it's so effective. And remarketing I do on every platform. So I remarket myself on so, Google, on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on YouTube, on Gmail, on pretty much anywhere. So if you go to my website and don't do one of my specific conversion actions, you're gonna see me following around on pretty much anywhere you go, but I keep it to like one or two times a day. I don't want to overload it where sometimes you'll see the same app 50 <laughs> times a day. You're like, this is Everywhere. too much, like calm down. So limiting it to like one or two times a day. So it kind of just keeps you top of mind subtly. It's not too much where it's intrusive because you have to walk that fine line because people don't like ads. And if you do it too much, people are going to get a little annoyed, but at least with remarketing, it's targeted ads where it's like, they looked at this product, it's not just some random thing that like, I have no interest in it. It's like, no, you went to this website, you added the product to the cart, like you definitely have some interest in it. Maybe you give them a coupon code for a discount for a banner ad to follow them around because they were that close to purchasing and maybe the price scared them off. So if you incentivize them, say like, hey, here's like a 10% off coupon, that could get them to convert. So a small business could kind of set up in Google Analytics an audience that, hey, if somebody hit my website and looked at my contact us, it would put them into this audience. And then you could basically buy a banner ad and tell that banner ad, hey, anybody who's in this audience once a day stick a banner ad up on on whatever they're doing or whatever they're searching for on these keywords is that correct yep and you can do youtube ads so anyone that goes to your website doesn't make a purchase hit them on youtube hit them on facebook on instagram all those platforms so social you could do the same thing you create custom audiences so it's pretty much creating a custom audience on whatever platform ad platform you're on and you specify who your audience is what pages you want them to visit it or not visit it and that's how you set those ads up and then you're pretty much off and running. And with Google, you can run remarketing on search, on display, discovery, on YouTube, Gmail. You can pretty much do it on everything, the remarketing. And remarketing is one that I really, really, really push because it's warm leads. It's not cold traffic. These are all warm leads of people that have been to your website. They kind of know who you are. Keep yourself top of mind and try to get that conversion because they were that close. And those banner ads seem to be relatively cost-effective as well. So it seems like it's a cost-effective way to do some branding and some brand awareness that 
can make uh, convert to uh, sales at some point, correct? Yeah, so with banner ads, you don't really pay per click because, like you said earlier, you don't click on them, you kind of ignore them. Most people don't click on them. So they don't really, I mean, you can charge per click, but most platforms will charge CPM, so per impressions. So usually they'll say maybe like $10 for a thousand impressions on Google on average. It could be $5, it could be $20, but it really varies. But usually it's about like, I'd say like $10 for a thousand impressions, which is not bad. And then especially if you limit it saying, all right, I only want to show my ad to max two people or twice a day to the same person. So, you know, you're getting at least 500 different eyeballs on your ads every single day for $10, which, and they're all warm leads. So you don't need the biggest budget. The more more you spend, the better, but you don't really need a big budget for remarketing. Remarketing, you can get away with spending like, well, it also depends on how much traffic you're getting. So remarketing all depends on your traffic. If you're getting five people a day to your website, then you could probably get away with spending like five, 10 bucks a day on remarketing. If you're getting a thousand people a day to your website, then that's a lot more visitors, a lot more traffic that you're going to remarket to. But you can still probably get away with spending like 50 bucks a day to show to all those people and keep yourself top of mind. And those ones really work to convert and get you that return on ad spend. I'm curious. Uh, It seems like YouTube is becoming more and more of a valid paid advertising platform. What do you think? How, how, How have you seen YouTube evolve for paid advertising? And what do you think its role is with with companies? I found out that with paid ads or with YouTube that you get 30 seconds free, which is really nice. So you get that someone watches your video ad for 29 seconds, then skips it. You don't pay a penny. But the biggest thing with YouTube is you can target your competitor's traffic. So anyone that goes to any of my competitor's websites, it doesn't matter what competitor I could throw in. I could say anyone that goes to Yelp looking for an SEO company or any of my big competitors, anytime they go to YouTube, my video ad will appear. So I'm kind of taking my competitor's traffic and remarketing to them. And they'll never know about it because I'm not bidding on like Yelp or like keywords. I'm just bidding on their traffic through, again, custom audiences. And that one really changed my business. Once I realized you could bid on your competitor's traffic, you kind of like steal your competitor's traffic. They'll never know about it. Google lets you do this. You can't do this on social media, but you could do it on Google. And you could take your competitor's traffic, bid on it, throw them into YouTube, and also get that 30 seconds free. So if someone goes to my competitor's website, then they go on YouTube and they see my ad, and even if they skip it after 20 seconds, they still heard me talking. They were definitely interested in SEO or whatever you're promoting. And those ones work really, really, really well, is taking doing the remarketing that like we talked about earlier, but also doing the custom audience of your competitor's traffic and taking their traffic and remarketing to them because... Why not? If Google lets you do it and you get 30 seconds free space, so try it out. But it's all about making a good video because most people will just throw a video up there and you have to really understand YouTube. People aren't on YouTube to watch your ads. They're going on YouTube for a completely different reason. They don't care about your progress service. They want to like watch a video or learn how to do something. So you have to hook them and keep them engaged, especially within the first five seconds because otherwise they're going to skip that video ad. So you have to have like a good like hook to hook people in, then you offer like the benefits of your product or service, then you introduce yourself, and then you have a call to action. That's kind of like the formula that works really well, but you just have to make a really good video because if you're just doing YouTube with like a video, like a commercial video that you've created and it has like a five seconds of like just music playing in the background, you're gonna get those skips. People aren't gonna watch that video ad. You gotta really hook them and keep them engaged. You mentioned SEO. Does SEO have a role in YouTube? I mean, 
can you do SEO work for YouTube or is SEO work that, that you're doing for, for advertising or relationship to advertising really function best on other platforms? You can do SEO on anywhere there is a search. So I could optimize your website on Google. If you're, have like an Amazon store, I could optimize your Amazon store, your Amazon products, Yelp, I can make you rank higher on Yelp. So anywhere there's a search, there's ways to optimize for it and try to get you that organic, that free traffic. But unfortunately running paid ads is not gonna help out your SEO. But doing SEO will help out your paid ads because if you have a really well-optimized landing page, then Google's going to say, all right, instead of spending a dollar per click, we might change it to 98 cents per click for your, your ad. So you're saving a couple cents, which in the long run, depending on how much you're spending, it's going to save an ad up. It doesn't seem like a lot saving a couple cents, but in the long run, if you're spending like, I mean, I have clients that spend like hundreds of thousands of dollars, I've worked at agencies where they spend millions of dollars a month. Saving those two cents is going to add up to a lot of money. So optimize your website, make it for, make your website SEO optimized, and that's going to help reduce the cost per click a little bit on your paid ads, but it doesn't work the other way around. Unfortunately, running paid ads is not going to get you to get preferential rankings on the SEO the organic side. Otherwise, Google would get in a lot of trouble, which I think they did initially, and then they're like, nope, we got to stop this because we don't want any lawsuits. We want to keep it ethical, even though it's not really, but... They're trying to keep it as unbiased as possible. YouTube has search. Can you optimize a YouTube channel for search or there's just not a lot you can really do? There's a lot that you could do with YouTube. So if you're trying to optimize it organically, then the most important thing is just in general for websites and anything is the title of your video or podcast or blog post or article or whatever it is. Title needs to have keywords. Usually you want to keep it about like 60 characters. Most of the times they kind of get cut off after that. But you want to try to put as many keywords as possible. But with YouTube, it's a little different. Like YouTube, people will put like capital letters and they'll like make it big. And so it's not the same as normal SEO that you would do on a website. It's similar, but it's not the same where you want to do keyword research using YouTube keyword research tools. Like you're not going to just use a Google keyword planner because it's different search, search volumes, different search intent behind those. But definitely the title, having the description, having text in it because Google really feeds off text. They can't really read images or videos yet. They're getting much better at it, but they still rely on text. The more text you have, the easier it is for them to read, understand, and know what that video is about. So if, like, let's say you have this hour-long podcast, you're like, all right, transcribing it might be a little bit too much. Let's, time, let's summarize it in a couple paragraphs, and let's timestamp it with different chapters and sections, and that's going to be much, much better than transcribing an hour or two or three-hour-long video. So if it's maybe like five or ten minutes, you could transcribe it, but if it's really, really long, that's tough. And then Google looks at, like, or YouTube looks at, like, watch time. So if you have a video that's 30 minutes and you get a 1,000 people that watch it, but they only watch it for one minute, that's really, really bad. Versus if you get 10 people to watch all 30 minutes, that's much, much better. Watch time, how many likes comments, shares, but also embeds. So when you're watch, looking at a YouTube channel or watching a YouTube video, it says share and click on that share button. And then it says share on like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, all these sites, but then it'll say embed. And it'll give you like this code that you could take that video and embed it on other websites. And the more websites that you embed this on, it's kind of like building SEO backlinks, the higher uh -huh. or more trustworthy it's going to be. So like if I take that YouTube video, embed it on my own website, and then I get like a thousand people that watch that video on my website, all thousand video or views get attributed to my YouTube channel. And it's just a way to get more visibility and exposure. It's tough to embed videos on other people's websites. 
definitely embedded on your own website, but how do you get other people to embed your YouTube video? It's kind of like building backlinks. Yeah. It's like, how do I get people to give me backlinks? Sometimes you have to do some outreach and kind of nudge and be like, hey, I created this video about, like right now I'm doing one about SEO and how to automate SEO using ChatGPT and Google Bard and AI. So I'll reach out to some people be like, hey, there's this really great video that I created. It's informational, it's not promotional. I'm wondering if you'd maybe share it on your website, embed it, give them that code. And that really helps out a lot. But kind of works full circle. It's like SEO. There's a lot of pieces of the puzzle for YouTube or for any of these platforms. And the more you give to them, the happier they're going to be, especially like filling out your YouTube channel information about your like description and just trying to fill out as much information as possible. Yeah, we transcribe every uh, uh, podcast we do and have that content available for everybody. And obviously, Botan, I think for this podcast, we'll, we'll just have to title the YouTube video how to make billions with Google ads and lots of exclamation points and some emojis and we'll make a lot of capital oh, letters and, and that should help us in, in YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Yep. YouTube would not be a part that. So they're a little bit different. And also I forgot like the cover image. So that's also a big, big part of getting people to click is having something that like is bright, vibrant. And I would look at your competitors. So go into YouTube, search for your keywords and see what other people are using for the cover image, but also look at, like commonalities of what keywords people are using. And you're gonna see people might be using the word T-shirt, T-E-E -E shirt. And you're like, I wanna use the T with the letter T. And then you see everyone's using T-E-E. -E. Then you're like, all right, maybe I should use T-E-E. -E. Because if they're on that first page of YouTube, they're doing something right. I mean, maybe they guessed at some of these keywords, but YouTube's rewarding them for something. So if you see those commonalities, uh, same with SEO, I'm like, go into Google, search for your keywords and see what keywords people are commonly using. and then incorporate those into your own website, but do the keyword research after. Take those keywords and throw them to the different tools like the Google Keyword Planner to make sure that they actually get search volume. Don't just copy it verbatim because who knows if it's really accurate or not, but that's a quick way to spine your competitors and just get some insights really quickly without going into the coding or diving too deep into their sites. I mean, keyword research as far as I know is huge on YouTube. So, <laughs> I mean, you just need to look at the uh, homepage and the recommended feed. It's, it's usually like the same topic, but two different videos. So I hear a lot of creators say that, um, uh, hey, we just uh, borrow other people's content for the week. And that's how the algorithm seems to like it. I also hear that uh, faces are like super important on YouTube. Like there is, there seems to be a uh, significant, like uh, hundreds of percent of increase in click-through when the thumbnail contains a face or multiple faces. So, I was wondering if there is something like that for uh, keyword search. So I, I guess most people start out with their uh, AdWords, like, hey, this is my company, this is what I sell. But maybe they are missing out on some some huge keywords. And we already talked about this in a previous podcast. And I was wondering, like, how can I find the keywords that I may not even be aware are connected to my company, but, but they are, and they are connected quite intimately. Yeah, I would do the, well, using keyword research tools, like the Google Keyword Planner. It's a free tool from Google. And that tool, you could just put like one keyword in there. You just say like t-shirts and they'll give you hundreds, sometimes thousands of variations of that keyword. So that's a good way to get a ton of keywords. You could also put websites in there too. So like the Google Keyword Planner, you could put your competitor's website in there and it'll give you a list of keywords that they think are related to your competitor. You can put your own website in there. 
they'll give you a list of keywords that they think are related to your website. Again, it's not going to be the best, but hey, it's something. Or you can even use like AI nowadays and be like, hey, here's one of my competitors' websites, like Google Bard. I don't think ChatGPT could do it, but Google's AI version, you could go in there and be like, here's my website. Give me a list of keywords. They're going to say no, but if you do it two or three times, they're actually going to say yes and do it. It's really weird with Bard, but ChatGPT won't do it because they're not accessed. Like Google owns Google Bard. So if you're doing anything with SEO and trying to automate stuff, I would use Bard because it could do a lot of stuff. It could do like keyword research. You could say, give me a list of keywords, which with um, search volume and competitiveness, and it'll make it into like a table. It'll make it look nice and pretty. It's kind of crazy. Like what you could do with ChatGPT or Bard and AI and that can automate it. Again, I wouldn't trust it because it's not accurate, but it's a good starting point and a way to quickly like just get a, get some hints. But I would definitely look at the Google Keyword Planner because that one is going to be accurate. But AI is just taking over and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. So if you're going to use that and incorporate it in a way that helps save you time while still being efficient and still double checking, triple checking everything because you don't want to just copy it verbatim yet, but it will help you just become more efficient. Right. So I got my keywords. I got my face. I got my company website and what's next? Where, where do I go? Do I go keyword search or AdWords first? Do I go YouTube first or uh, do I just go banner ads? No, you, where would you start? Do it all. You got to test, test, test. All of so, them at the same time. Yeah. Just fire on all cylinders and see which one yeah, sticks. Because they all work differently. I, I guess what you're saying is take whatever ad budget you have and divide it up into different segments and do a little bit in each segment to see which ones work and then I guess shift money around. Is that a, a, a pretty reasonable strategy for people yeah. starting out? Yeah, well, I push more money into what I know is going to work. So if you're doing like products, I put more money into like the shopping ads and then I just put a little bit of budget to search, to discovery, to banner ads, to email to all these other ones to kind of just test them out. But I put the majority of the budget into something that I feel like it's going to work. And also just depends on your return on or your product. Like what are you selling? If you're selling the t-shirt again for 20 bucks and the cost per click is like five bucks, then it's going to be really, really tough to make that return on ad spend because on average it's like one to 3% conversion rate. So you can expect to have a hundred visitors, one to three of them might make a purchase. So if you're spending $5 per click, to sell a $20 t-shirt, then you're going to realize that it's going to cost you like $500 to maybe get one to three sales, which you're probably not going to make the money back. So then it's like, all right, let's cut out the search and let's try like YouTube or let's try the, the shopping ads and just try to figure out what we could do with your budget to maximize that budget and not bleed that money out on those expensive keywords. Because keywords can be very, very expensive. Like if you're searching for like locksmith near me, those keywords are like $100 per click because Google knows if you're locked out of your house, you don't care who that locksmith is. You're going to click on the first ad, you're going to reach out to the locksmith and that locksmith is probably going to charge you $200. They're going to keep $100 and Google gets $100 for pretty much just showing that ad and they're just doing that all day long, collecting that money. Yeah, that's crazy. Plumbers, electricians, they all probably are really expensive, huh? Yeah, but those locksmith, those are the ones where it's like $100 per click or insurance. So one of these ad agencies I worked at worked with a company that was doing car insurance and each click was like $100. They're selling like $20 million a month on paid ads and they're a medium-sized advertiser to Google. They got like a one-hour phone call once a month with Google, but they understand like if you sign up for car insurance, they might have to spend like $10,000 to get you to sign up, but the lifetime value of a customer 
is going to exceed that because if you stay with that company and recommend them to your friends and family, which is what they want you to do, they don't want you to sign up for a year and then cancel because then they're probably going to lose money. But if you sign up for a few years, recommend them to friends and family, then they're going to get more than that $10,000. So it's all about knowing what your lifetime value of a customer is and making sure that you're spending less to get that customer. If you're spending more than $10,000 to make that customer, then you got to figure out something's off. Let me fix these ads. But that's the biggest thing is as long as you're making a positive return on ad spend, then I would keep scaling until you those economies of scale where you just kind of flatline and can't push any more money to it. So how should we calculate cost per customer? Like, do we take the, our whole ad spend for the month and see how many transactions we have and sort of balance those? Yeah, you could do it weekly if you want to get a little more granular, but basically you're just looking at how much... Yeah, how much a conversion costs, so you can see what's my cost per acquisition, CPA, and figure out, all right, it's gonna cost me $50 to get a lead or to get a sale, and my product is worth $100, and all right, that's not that bad, but if I'm spending $50 to get a sale and my product is $30, then like, all right, we gotta stop the bleeding, we're losing money on every sale, and we're not even accounting for like profit margins and shipping and all these other variables that go into it, or fees that agencies hold, so, you gotta make sure you make at least like two, three road ROAS return on ad spend to really be able to stay afloat and be profitable, depending on your business. Oh wait, so you're saying that uh, my profit, my profit for the month or week, should be three times my ad spending? Is that right? Um, well, usually you want like get like a two ROAS or higher. The more, the better. So it's for every dollar, if it's a two row ads, so if you put $1 into Google, you're getting $2 back, which you want that or if you... Does it work the other way around as well? So if my profit margin is, let's say, uh, 1K per month, then I want to spend around two, $300 on ads? Um, you just want to spend less than whatever that profit margin is. So you could spend $999 and you're still making a dollar profit. So it's not like you're losing money. <laughs> it's not the best, it's not ideal, but you're not losing money, so I'd say, all right, let's try to figure out how do we fix this and scale it up because you made a little bit of money, not much, but you're not bleeding money out. If you're bleeding money, then we gotta stop the bleeding, but if you're making anything, then let's try to just scale it up and try to maximize it as much as possible. I'd like to touch on something that you said. Uh, you're making this connection about effectiveness of ads, and you mentioned also that SEO has a, an important role to play in how effective ads are in the end with conversion stuff. Maybe you can expand a little bit more on, on the role of SEO in relationship to uh, paid ads. Google looks at, well, Google wants to send traffic that's targeted. So what happens is if you're, let's say, back to the t-shirts, you're selling t-shirts, then they click onto your website and they get to a page that's like the About Us page about your t-shirt company that's gonna throw Google off like, all right, someone's searching for blue t-shirts, but when they got to your website, they're on the about, or like, let's say you send them to the homepage. And the homepage has hundreds, thousands of products. It's not gonna be the best user experience because Google knows that you're probably not gonna know where the blue t-shirt is. So Google wants you to make a good user experience for people. So if they're searching for blue t-shirts, they need to go to a page all about blue t-shirts. And that's where, if it's optimized with keywords about blue t-shirts, that makes that landing page really relevant to that keyword search. And Google knows that the more relevant or the more targeted that landing page is to that keyword, the more likely is someone to buy. So 
that Google just wants you to maximize sales because that's why they're going to reward you saying, all right, if you have a blue t-shirt, if you're targeting the blue t-shirt keyword and you have a page dedicated to blue t-shirts, then that person is going to find what they're looking for. Hopefully, I mean, it might not be the right style or the pricing, but they're going to a page all about blue t-shirts. So it's a good user experience. It's not like you're sending them a page about red t-shirts. They're going to be like, what's going on? Probably not going to buy or hit that back button. So Google wants you to, well, Google wants to have the best user experience for people because like if you're searching for blue t-shirts and you get to a t-shirt page that's all about red shirts, bad user experience. And over time, you're going to be like, Google, what's going on? I'm going to go on Bing or DuckDuckGo or another search engine, which Google does not want that to happen. So they're going to reward you by making sure that your website and keywords all align by reducing the cost per click. So that's their reasoning behind it. But it also gets you more sales too, because if someone goes to the blue t-shirt page and they're searching for blue t-shirts, they're probably going to buy. If they get to a red t-shirt page and they're searching for blue shirts, they're probably not going to buy from you. And people think, all right, they got to my website. Even though it's red shirts here, they could find the blue t-shirts. But for us, it's easy if we have our own website to see where to go. But if you're looking at a brand new website that you've never been to before, people get lost. It's not as easy as you think. It's not like, oh, this is where the blue shirts are. It's right there. You just got to click that button. It's like user experience is different, especially on mobile, where the screen is really shrunk down and kind of compressed. You don't get that visibility and exposure. And if they don't see what they're looking for right there, they're not going to be browsing around, clicking that hamburger menu and jiving down because it gets tough. So I always tell people, like, it's good. Like, if you could ask, like, friends and family, like, here's my website try to find the blue t-shirt page and see where they get stuck, where they get lost, and just try to make it a good user experience and make sure it flows you and goes well. How important is the user experience in converting an ad into a sale? Like, uh, you know, if an ad is directing you to a page, the user already knows they want something there. So I guess for a conversion, ease of purchase is, is maybe the most important thing. But some people go to pages just to find out more about the product and they're not that interested in even purchasing it at that point. How do you kind of work with that? And the content that's on the page is part of the SEO equation. So how do you advise your clients on producing content for these specific kind of pages or landing pages? And how is that content related to the customer experience versus just converting something? Yeah, that's more conversion rate optimization. So optimizing your website for, for conversions, which means that you have to understand that whenever someone gets to a screen, whatever they see on the screen, it's called above the fold. Once you start scrolling down, that's below the fold. And most people will never scroll down or swipe down on a mobile device. So you have to have all your printed information on that screen above the fold. A value proposition, probably the most important thing, letting people know what's in it for me because ultimately people are selfish and they don't care about how long you've been in business or all these awards you've won. They want to know what are you going to do for me. So if you're selling like, you know, like blue t-shirts, you're going to be like most comfortable, stylish blue t-shirts or whatever it may be, but like hooking them with the benefits and then maybe have like a couple bullet points or a video there, something that's easy to digest and, that, and understand without reading a big chunk of text. And then a call to action needs to be all above the fold. Those three things really need to be above the fold. And the call to action, if you're an e-commerce business, should be that add to cart or buy now or whatever, shop now. But if you're a service-based business, then your phone number could be there or a form should be right there. Whatever that conversion goal is that you're trying to do should be above the fold because once people start scrolling, you already lost over half your traffic. Most people will never scroll down. 
below all that, that's where you have all the technical details and all the features and all the other stuff. But above the fold, you want to just have as much printed information as possible that's easy to digest and easy to look through. Like I work with a lot of e-commerce websites and I just tell them like, just look at Amazon, copy Amazon. They're the perfect e-commerce website because they're constantly A-B testing where if all three of us go to Amazon right now, it might look the same, but it's going to be slightly different where maybe that add to cart button, they change the color a little bit or they moved it up a centimeter to see what maximizes conversions because they're constantly testing. And a lot of people will be like, oh, I'm going to look at my competitors' websites. I'm like, yeah, your competitors are good, but are they spending hundreds of millions of dollars? Probably not. I would look at like Costco, Target, Walmart, all these big, big corporations if you're e-commerce and look at how they structure, how they build their website, how they categorize it. That's going to let you know how you should structure, how you should build out your website because they've done all the hard work for you. Now you just got to incorporate and not copy verbatim, but get ideas and use that as kind of a starting point. But definitely make everything easy to navigate through, making sure it loads quickly, make sure it looks good on every device because it's going to look different on Chrome, on Firefox, on Internet Explorer, on Safari, but it's also going to look different on mobile versus desktop or mobile iPhone 14 versus the iPhone like 5 had a button there or the iPhone 7 had like a line there. And when I worked at ad agencies, we had one of these companies that was spending, I forget, they were spending like $10,000 a day on paid ads. And then the new iPhone came out where they removed the button and they put like a little bar there. I forgot which one that was, like the 6 or 7. But that button removal and that bar became, they had a pop-up on their website. And this little bar was blocking people from closing this pop-up. And they were spending tens of thousands of dollars for three or four days. Like, what happened? We're not getting any conversions. And we realized the new iPhone came out. They put this little bar there that was blocking people from closing this pop-up. And that's what you have to test and test and test. Not just test on all the platforms, but test on the Pixel, the Galaxy, the iPhone. Because unfortunately, it's all going to look a little different. And if you're spending thousands of dollars a day, then you definitely want to make sure. Even if you're spending 50 bucks a day, you don't want to be wasting that money on irrelevant clicks or locking people in. So test, 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 and make sure it looks good on everything. Just, just, just don't start the experience of visiting your page with a pop-up blocking the entire thing. That's, that's the worst. That's like an immediate bounce. Yeah, that was like seven years ago. So even then I was like, uh, pop-ups aren't the best, but especially on mobile, you definitely don't like, yeah, no never run pop-ups oh, on they are the worst for no. kind of the reasons that we're talking about right now or it's just so small the screen like doesn't work desktop you could do like an exit intent pop-up where someone's about to close the window i would have that pop-up but other than that like, i see pop-ups that pop up after like five seconds I'm like what are you doing like i just got to your website i don't even know it's who you are <laughs> crazy <laughs> but, but by the way do you want to subscribe to our newsletter i don't even know who you are <laughs> why do you want to receive notifications? Why? Who are you? Like, seriously, those those are the best. But my favorite, my all-time favorite, is uh, and and it's getting more common, by the way. So if I visit a website on my phone, which is not like a special phone, it's 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 not an old phone, it's not an especially new phone, it's like a mid-range iPhone, and the pop-up cannot be closed because the X is off-screen. And you can't scroll because it's so responsive. It just <laughs> renders. I've had that. Too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are the worst. That's why, yeah, mobile, no pop-ups. Never put a pop-up on mobile. 
just stop. Uh, it's, like, smart. it's hit or miss. It's like, you got to offer value. If you're just saying subscribe to my newsletter, no, no, no. But if you're off, like e-commerce, I say like, all right, if you're a first time customer, here's a coupon code for like 10% off because that is a great way to get email addresses for your service-based business. It's a little bit tougher. You got to like offer value and give like a free ebook or like uh, training. Like I offer classes. So I'm like, here's a free SEO class or whatever class I'm promoting. But that's a little bit more time intuitive, like creating a class or creating an ebook. But for e-commerce, I would just put a pop-up saying like, hey, here's a discount. But show it after like 30 seconds or 45 seconds because if they've been on your website for that long, then they're a little bit more inclined to be receptive to it. If you just put it up after like five or 10 seconds, they're going to hit that button and close it and it's you lost that opportunity. Yeah, but I, I also feel like you, you have to be very careful with the free classes. Because it happens so often that the free class is the best class, right? And then what follows is it, like the quality of the content falls off really quick. And you don't want that. You want it all to be just great. Yeah, no, definitely. You can't give away all your secrets right away. You got to give them, hook them, keep them enticed, and then... Get, want them to learn more or offer more advanced technical classes and or keep them up to date with like the AI and all the new stuff that's emerging. So Brandon, just, uh, you know, you, you've probably dealt with a lot of different clients and different challenges. So for SEO, what do you think is one of the biggest challenges that you have to deal with when dealing with a client or not so much client relationship, but more like what their objectives are from the technical SEO side what seems to be one of the more challenging things to, to deal with nowadays? Yeah, probably user experience is a tough one to deal with because that's where I don't really have full control of the website. So I could rank you on Google organically or even running paid ads and catch all this traffic. But yeah, if it's not just, if the user experience is not good, then Google's going to drop you down. So you got to make sure, call it, comes down to conversion rate optimization, making sure the website looks good on all those devices, it's easy to navigate through, it loads quickly, it looks good on mobile, there's no pop-ups on mobile, and that's a big part of user experience is just how do people behave? Because Google's able to see if someone goes onto Google, searches, goes to Google, clicks on your website, and then they hit the back button, Google could see that. So they could see that someone went to your website for five seconds and then came back to Google, and that tells Google, maybe you're not the most relevant. So Google tests it out. And if you're ranked number one and all of a sudden Google sends you all this traffic and half the people hit that back button, then Google's like, maybe you aren't the best to be number one. Let's drop you down to number two or number three and let's see how people behave now. And, and they're constantly testing and testing. And that user experience is a little tricky because I don't have full control of the websites. Like I'll give them recommendations, but I can't be like, hey, let's move this here. Let's change this here. I could give them recommendations, but does it doesn't really mean that you're they're going to incorporate it. SEO though, like a lot of the SEO changes that you make are more behind the scenes and the coding. So it's not really like people facing, it's more Google facing. So me changing all the coding, pretty easy to do. Not going to get much resistance, but it's when you're changing the look and the style and the flow of the website. That's where business owners, or webmasters, they're like, no, we don't want to make all these changes. But sometimes you have to have that balance where you're like, all right, I don't want to make this change, but if it's going to increase conversions then let's do that trade-off where it's not going to be the prettiest, but if it works to convert, then let's go for it. And a lot of websites I feel like aren't really built for conversions. They're just built to look nice and pretty, which is good. But I tell people you got to build a website that 
essentially every page on your website should technically be a landing page to try to capture that person's information and get them from just being a visitor to actually being a lead or a client or sale, whatever that conversion goal is. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Especially with like uh, very well optimized organic uh, SEO pages. Like when, uh, I don't know what it's called, but when Google grabs like a section of your website that describes a certain product, then obviously that page has to be a landing page as well. And that's forgotten so often. Like <laughs> many times you just go to a product page and it's like, okay, here's a picture and the price. And I'm like, okay, nice, but can I have some more info, please? Yeah, yeah. I, I actually had that experience uh, yesterday looking for a, a part for my bike. And the part page literally had the part number and the, the technical spec of the part and told me nothing about why I should buy that part versus one of the other parts that they had on their site that was the exact same, just different. They, they didn't even tell me the difference between A and B. They just said A is this spec and B is this spec, and they just happen to be the same spec, but there must be a difference between them. And you know, you, you see in the title, one is this and one is that. So I know that's different, but why is that good, right? So they didn't give me the information I needed. And that, that's, that's kind of part of it, you know, with SEO, you know, people do a lot with blogs and short content paragraphs describing products and describing service. How critical is that to SEO? Is that, it used to be very important. Is it still important or now is it less important? Or, you know, if I write a blog on the website all the time, does that do anything? Or what, what's that relationship? No, content still helps out. Content meaning text to Google. They feed off that text. So the more text that's original, that's going to help out. And I mean, in the past, Google said they don't want AI written content, but six months ago, earlier in 2023, they said, we don't care if it's written by humans or AI, as long as it offers value. So if you're not the best writer, I mean, I wouldn't copy from AI verbatim, but use it as like an outline to like give you ideas. Because if you get stuck, like a lot of people don't want to blog, but if you're getting stuck, you'd be like, all right, make me an outline of this topic. And then from there you fill it in. Don't just say, write me a blog post because it's not going to be accurate and that's going to result in a bad user experience and do more harm than good. But if you use it as like a, just like a little starting point, that'd be great. But definitely should be blogging on your website once a month. You don't have to blog all the time, but just adding more content keeps your website fresh, shows Google that you're still in business because Google also looks at the last time your website's been updated. So if you're constantly adding new content and new blogs, that tells Google that you're still in business or hopefully still in business. But Definitely, definitely keep adding more text or product pages, add descriptions, add right, unique descriptions, and that will really, really help out with SEO. So taking that to the extreme, um, as it were to just uh, get ChatGPT to generate me an article to put up on my site, even if I just can't be bothered <laughs> to write a blog post? No, I mean, there's lots of people that are doing that right now and it works, but over time you have to think, all right, if everyone's going to be doing that, then is all going to be AI written content and also AI kind of makes stuff up. So if they don't know what to write about, they're going to make something up. And then if you post it on your website and then later on, someone asks that same question to AI, they're going to probably read your website, think that your information is accurate and it's just be that downward loop <laughs> where, yeah, it's kind of strange. I don't know how it's all going to work right now or how they figure out what's real, what's not real, what's accurate, what's not accurate. Cause it's even tougher like people to realize what's real and what's not real because it's just so easy to blend in and hide nowadays that it's becoming easier to identify because 
the format and the way that uh, at least ChatGPT is writing blog posts for people, it's it's kind of formulated. And if you've read some of them, you can just see it, right? And, and although people aren't in the industry and they're reading it, they, the more they read, the more they realize, hey, these kind of all are the same, right? And yes, the inaccuracy, but also the the lack of context and personality is a good identifier of a lot of that content as well. Um, and you can kind of see the people who are lazy, uh, who just type it into ChatGPT and then copy and paste, and versus those who actually take that output and then modify it, edit it, and add their own voice and other stuff. You can kind of see that stuff pretty quick. And I think the more it, it, that's put out, the easier it'll be to identify what's just copy and pasted versus what's actually been edited and, and curated and, and made better. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, Brendan, how does the future of SEO and ads look? Uh, I mean, that one is tricky because it's changing so quickly, but with SEO is just, I mean, it's always been the same things. It's like good content, good quality backlinks and Google's going to reward you, but We'll have to see what happens with ChatGPT and AI and things like that. Like if people start using AI to search, then that might throw Google into less traffic. And but then if people are using AI to search, then we got to figure out right, what's the AI algorithm. How do we optimize for that? So if Google's gone, then there's going to be another search engine. As long as people are searching, then SEO is not going to die. Ever since I've been doing SEO in 2007, when I first started doing it, people are like, SEO is dead. It's going to disappear and I mean, now with like AI, they're saying that again. I mean, they say it all the time, but AI has been a big change where it's like, all right, maybe it will, but you can't really buy on AI. There's no ads there. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. But for now, I would still say Google SEO is not going anywhere anytime soon, but just have to adapt and adjust and be ready for all these changes and just adapt to them, not be scared and say, all right, I'm not going to use AI because if everyone starts using it and you're not, you're going to be left behind. So just be open to trying new things out and testing it all out. And same with the ads, we'll have to see if AI takes over and people are searching on ChatGPT versus Google, then is ChatGPT gonna start running paid ads? Probably, because they wanna make some money or they're gonna charge, which they're already charging for GPT-4 and things like that. So we'll have to see, but yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's tough to really predict. I wish I had that crystal ball to see what's gonna happen in the future. But for now, I still say everything's kind of the same, it's just, new tools that have emerged to make things a little bit more efficient. But in terms of the platforms and everything, I don't see them going anywhere anytime soon because Google's created Google Bard, their AI version, and they're going to do anything to keep a hold of that market share. They don't want to lose that market share to Bing or to anyone else. So they're going to do whatever they do to keep it. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for helping us to explore SEO and digital ads. Well, that's about all the time for this episode today. But before you go, I want you to think about this important question. Do digital ads really add value to a brand's image? Please subscribe and click the notifications to join us for our next Screaming Box Technology and Business Rundown podcast. Until then, click some ads and find out what happens. Thank you very much for taking this journey with us. Join us for our next exciting exploration of technology and business in the first week of every month. Please help us by subscribing liking and following us on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and please let us know any subjects or topics you would like us to discuss in our next podcast by leaving a message for us in the comment sections or sending us a Twitter DM. Till next month, please stay happy and healthy. Ooh.